Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Today, we have Ryan Neal, recording artist of Ryan Neal Music and former contestant on The Bachelor, Listen to Your Heart. Welcome down the podcast, Ryan. We're excited to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a blast. Can you talk a little bit about your story as a musician? The reason I started playing music in the first place, there's two reasons. So initially, I saw my grandmother. Um, she was a professional piano player for a very long time. Um, but when she started to get older, her last 10 years of life were spent having pretty severe Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, but as much as she would forget who we were and kind of just people around her in general, she could still remember all of the old, old piano pieces that she learned as a kid and just play it flawlessly for everybody in her nursing home. Like she had this, she lived, was living in this massive nursing home and like, you know, she'd have like a couple hundred people in the atrium and just watching her. And I was like, wow, this is pretty incredible. It's like a superpower that I wish I had. And then a couple of years later when she passed, I ended up seeing the movie School of Rock, which was, uh, which, you know, was just so exciting for uh, a kid of my age. I was like 12 or 13 at the time. And uh, it was just so exciting to see that because I was getting into more rock music, my parents, um, you know, 60s and 70s stuff. And that just, it just fit perfectly with my lifestyle at the time. Started playing guitar at 13 and then just progressively, um, you know, years later, started writing songs at college, picked up the piano, picked up bass, and then started learning production in terms of putting it all together. And um, it's just been a, a wild ride since. But um, yeah, I, I really think that just subconsciously seeing my grandmother growing up, playing all the time, um, even though I was very into sports during that time of my life, it was... Um, it always stuck with me. And it's something that even if I didn't do it professionally, I, I would love to just have that skill to do whenever. I, would, I always just wanted to walk into a hotel and just jump on the piano and play. Yeah. So um, can you talk a little bit about the the relationship with the word professional? Because um, I do think that many artists start as artists out of, you know, just wonderful inspiration that hits them at some point in their <laughs> youth. And then it's it's more about the actual art themselves. And then as adults, we recognize what it means to be a professional and how to navigate a world where art has to meet commerce. Sure. Um, I think that I think that's the biggest struggle for any artist. Um, you know, you start off with just such a passion for doing it just because it makes you feel a certain type of way. And you'll practice your instrument in the dark alone just because you want to. And there's no um, greater sense of you know, I, I need this to pay my bills. Um, so once that comes into play, um, it's unfortunate, but sometimes it, it just, it, uh, it makes you a little bit more jaded towards the process. And so, you know, you think of, is this gonna, is this gonna do well? Does this, uh, is this type of song or is this type of um, idea something that people would want to hear over and over? Is this something that People would want to come see me play live. Um, and so you wrestle with those ideas constantly. And I think um, what I come keep coming back to when I when I get those thoughts in my head is like, if I can make something that Im- impresses me and 
makes me feel a certain type of way. I know that the people who already follow me and enjoy what I do previously, there's a good chance they're going to like it. And if they don't love it, then maybe the next one they'll like. So it's just um, when I get in those zones, and I do often, it's like you go into the, the studio and you 90% of the time, it's just usually not good, but it's like you have to keep going because that 10% is is usually what's going to stick and, and um, will be something that's decent. So it's just, you know, keep grinding away and know that, you know, I think whatever you do, it's, it doesn't have to be music, um, but what people pay you for is your taste in something or your your expertise. So you may be working 17 years doing something. And so when people say, oh, well, you know, my my rate is let's let's just throw out like 100 an hour. That's my rate for painting this picture or what what have you. You're not paying for that specific time. You're paying for all of those years of expertise that have culminated to that point where you can say, hey, you know, even though I do this in 20 minutes, like you're paying for my expertise and you're paying for my knowledge on this subject. So I think it's just, you know, keep developing yourself, keep getting better and know that um, people that are truly your fans will kind of stick with you no matter what. Your appearance on The Bachelor must have helped in that department. That's like a worldwide phenomenon, right? Or is it just in America? I, to be honest, I couldn't tell you. I, I want to say it's just America, but I'm sure people in other countries may know just because of how popular American culture is you know, around the globe. So right, yeah. it's a good possibility. That makes you sense. You probably stream it. I'm going to say worldwide. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> They've got to okay. do it. Yeah. It. They totally watch it other places. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about the process of going from a person who wasn't on The Bachelor to now being a person who has been on The Bachelor? Sure. It's been a, a complete whirlwind. You know, I, I um, first off, I never really watched the show um, prior to being, being asked to be a contestant on it. And what happened with that was someone found me on Instagram a couple of years ago and they saw the singing video that I had. And so someone responded saying, hey, we think you'd be a good fit for a show that's coming out next year. They didn't say any details about it. Um, long story short, I followed up with them and that producer ended up being the producer of many of the Bachelor shows, um, American Ninja Warrior, a lot of things on ABC. So um, that legitimized his, his stance to me. So I, I reached out to him and within a couple rounds of um, interviews and performances before them once in Chicago and then the final round in LA, um, they ended up choosing me. So it was very fast, but um, it was a wild ride to say the least. And the performance aspect is because this is a sort of uh, specialty version of The Bachelor, right? This was a, a Bachelor where it incorporated uh, musicians into the fold of their lovemaking or <laughs> lovemaking, but- uh, That's correct. <laughs> Yeah, love yeah, inspired yeah. show love story exactly yeah. right right so exactly so um yeah this i was gonna say so this was the first season of um what was to be called listen to your heart the bachelor presents listen to your heart so everybody on the show every contestant was a musician in some capacity whether they were just a singer whether they produced whether they were um, a broadway actress that also sang 
So it was a very wide spectrum of people involved, um, equal amounts, men and women in the house. And basically you were told to form chemistry with somebody first outside of music, just, you know, person to person. And then once you chose your person per se, um, then you would start performing with them um, each week in front of celebrity judges and getting per getting graded on your musical performance and your um, viability in terms of your like how well you connected on stage with one another, which I thought was a little bit tough to judge. But, um, you know, that's kind of how the show went. So it's in the age of kind of mashups, it almost feels like we're mashing up two immensely popular TV properties in like a show like The Bachelor and a show like The Voice or the more sort of singer-songwriter talent shows. Did you have a good experience? Did you enjoy the time you spent with the show? I had a great experience. Um, I can't say anything bad about it. Um, basically, they always pitched it to us was, it's gonna be like American Idol times A Star Is Born, which I still haven't seen that movie. <laughs> Um, very sad. But, um, <laughs> very sad. A good one. That's why yes. I, I heard the ending sad is ending. tragic. And that's what everyone's like, dude, the ending's so tragic. Why would you try to do this? But, um, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, I, <laughs> I've had, uh, I had a great, great time on the show. Met some amazing people that I'm still lifelong friends with. Um, luckily I made it decently far. Um, so I got to experience a lot of things, um, go on multiple dates and, um, and just really be, you know, involved in that world that I hadn't been experienced uh, with yet in terms of the TV production, all of that being on a big set. Um, it was uh, it was a lot. It was very, very stressful at times, but it was cool to go through it because, um, you know, you grow up seeing these reality TV shows and you don't know what to expect, what's what's real, what's not, um, how the day to day goes and to be kind of in enthralled of that it was uh was very interesting yeah i'm sure it gives you such a perspective seeing any other similarly produced show and going uh i bet that i bet that went a little different in real life yeah because you you realize how much goes into it and just there's like 300 cameras in the ceiling of the house alone and it's <laughs> it's just it's so wild that you know you're woken up by these like lights you first of all you're sleeping in bunk beds. Um, it's not glamorous at all. It's like they throw you in one side of the house and then, um, all oh, the men, man. all the men are in one side of this mansion. All the women are on the other side and you're in these bunk beds with 12 guys. Um, and there's like lights above the bunk. So whenever they want you up at seven in the morning, let's say they'll just blast those LEDs. And it's just like, it's just impossible not to, uh, to get up at that point. And then you, put on your mic pack and get ready for breakfast. I'm sure with an experience like that, you experienced a surge of social media followers or interest in you yourself. Can you talk about that experience and how it's changed your relationship to your social media and your your public facing image? Sure, that was the biggest obstacle, I guess you would, you would say. And you would think that it would be all positive and um, overnight you get all these people looking at you and, and interested in you. And it's, it's definitely is a rush. It's, it's, um, it's, it's kind of a drug really, um, overnight, you know, you go from like a few hundred followers to like many, many, many thousands. And, um, 
you feel the need to respond to everybody because it's like, oh, they're, you know, thank you so much for reaching out, blah, blah, blah. And, and it's, it's impossible to keep up with, but it really presents itself a lot of um, potentially negative, uh, just mental emotions that come along with it. Um, I've never been more stressed, you know, depressed, anxious than those couple months after the show, just because of um, how much it was to, to deal with. And, and for me, I had a very good run on the show, um, but there were people who were getting death threats on our show. There were people um, from many other seasons that continued to get death threats just because um, you become an easy target. You know, people see you as this character and they don't think that there's a, a person with a beating heart on the other side of that screen. And, and they're just like you and I. So um, it definitely makes you more anxious. It's, you know, I see a phone now and I just kind of want to put it down for hours on end just because of how much I was just in my phone all the time last year, even this year. Um, yeah, it's fast. But I would say for, you know, yeah, 95% of the time it's, it's great. Um, but then it's like, you know, you get that one comment, which is negative and you've got all these other comments that are great. And you're just like, ah, like you want to turn that person back. Like, no, that's not me. Or, um, you know, you try to you, you focus on the negative when you should be focusing on the positive. Yeah, that's I mean, that's profound. It also feels like uh, you're just experiencing a very like not only a rush personally, but a rush of pressure, like a, a major change in the amount of pressures that you're dealing <laughs> with day to day. And I can see that being very affecting on your mental health. Um, but if you if we sort of pivot and talk more about as an artist, because as an artist, you're sort of responsible for your name or your, as marketers, we would call your brand, your personal brand. I'm sure it's a very positive thing to go from a few hundred to tens and tens of thousands of followers seemingly overnight. Can you talk about the opportunities uh, that come with such a rapid increase of popularity? Sure. Um and that's why, you know, to to back up a little bit, that's really one of the only reasons that I did the show. If it was a bachelor show that wasn't attached to music at all, and I couldn't, um, you know, piggyback being in front of, you know, potentially millions of people viewing you every week to more music success or more career success, I, I probably wouldn't have done it. Um, so it does give you more fans, you know, across the country. So if you, if you want to play a show in Colorado, you know, you're going to have people that at least know who you are and may be willing to go see you play. Um, you know, being able to play in different cities, obviously the more people that know you, the more people that would be willing to, let's say buy merch, um, or, you know, listen to more music that you put out or, um, you know, developing, deals and sponsorships with brands potentially that would want to work with you, uh, which would never happen before if you only have a few hundred followers. So um, I would say the upside is far outweighs the, the negative things that happen. Um, and so, I'm, you know, I'm still going through it at this point and, and learning, you know, negotiating with brands and, and figuring out like who I'd want to work with um, and just kind of, you know, what I can do to you know, help bridge this gap and, and keep the career momentum 
going forward. That's awesome. Do you feel like you really have to curate the image of you that's public facing, especially with any kind of brand partnerships or any kind of tie-ins? What is the basis? Is it that you have to stay true to your music or stay true to an image or stay true to a philosophy or some combination of them? Yeah, I definitely think it's a combination. Um, I think just to, and, and that's why I struggled last year with like, um, people saw me on the show as, as this certain person. I'm like, well, do I just keep having to be that? Not that I wasn't true to myself on the show. Um, but I was, I was very quiet. I didn't really give, um, the producers too much to work with in terms of just saying too much, which could be used, um, negatively against me if, if they so choose. So, um, I was definitely myself, but I think in terms of going forward and presenting myself in a certain way on social media, um, now I just, I just kind of have fun with it and, and just continue to be myself because I know that, you know, you can put on a, a false image, which may technically, um, do better in terms of numbers of likes or whatever, but you know, if at the end of the day, I'm not happy with, with who I truly am being, then it, it doesn't matter because last year, you know, I had all this like social media success, if you will. But, um, for a lot of it, I, I was, I was very unhappy. So, um, now I've kind of crossed over and I'm just doing things that, that I enjoy more. Um, and if people like it, cool. If not, that's cool too. You know, I'm, I'm just here to, to, you know, hopefully make people happy and, and and that's it. Nice. Are there things that you've learned in that experience that have, have led you to that more positive perspective? Yeah. I just think, um, you know, speaking with my friends from the show, speaking with people from other seasons, um, and knowing that they all are going through the same thing. They're all, you know, things that I went through last year, they were experiencing too. And, and, uh, and just knowing that, you know, just life is, it shouldn't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a fine gap of like taking life seriously, but not taking life too seriously. So I, I try to do things now that, um, you know, just, just make me smile more often and not, and not focus on so many negative things because, um, you know, at, at any point this, this thing could be over. So, um, I just want to be as positive as possible and and do things that really resonate with myself and um i think before going on the show oddly enough there was this um this confidence within myself that i think being thrown in front of more people almost started to dwindle a little bit which is strange because it's like well more people are um seeing what you're doing but also now you overthink everything that you do because you're like how how is this going to be perceived not on this small scale now, but on a slightly bigger scale. So that's been a struggle that I'm still overcoming now. It's like, man, I was confident with myself before the show. And now it's like everything that I put out, I'm second guessing. Artists usually have a progression, right? Like you, you start, you're passionate, you, you, your output is often the things you feel deepest, the, the ways you express those feelings. Um, and you gradually gain energy and fans. And if you're following the right, you know, pathway, or if you are growing and 
exciting more and more people, there's like kind of a slow progression. But I think in your case, mm -hmm. uh, it sounds like you were on that trajectory and making your music and proud of who you were as an artist. And then all of a sudden, in a heartbeat, you have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people seeing you. And now the, the pressure and the expectation that maybe lives in your brain of living up to this you know, that's a massive step. Sorry for being so long-winded. No, I mean, you couldn't have said it better. I mean, I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> well, well said. Um, but yeah, that was basically it. Um, you know, it's like you're in your hometown, you're playing, um, you're playing for a very small amount of people. Um, maybe get to a point where you're playing like little clubs and then um, you get in front of all these people on TV. And um, I think another interesting thing is people, I think they just expect you to be like, you're on TV, so you're already like, you made it. Right, like just, say like, your catchphrase. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, and it's like, I, I'm still, you know, I'm a self-employed musician, just still grinding, like, that was a great opportunity, but I'm no means set because of a TV show, like, you know, everyone from the show is still working hard, like doing their craft, and, and I think, I think um it's easy for for someone to you know you see someone up there like oh wow they're they're killing it <laughs> but it's like we were just plucked off instagram and they thought we'd be a good fit for a new show and that's kind of the bottom line and everyone that's on the show is still working very hard at what they do um and so yeah it's it's very it's not relatable at all for most musicians or most people in general to just be like go from very little people looking at you to literally overnight of many, many people. So um, I don't know any other medium that would, you know, jumpstart a, a career like something um, such as a, you know, major television show. Right. Uh, how has it changed your relationship to Instagram and maybe other specific social channels that you market yourself through? Yeah, it's, it's taught me um, definitely things that, that work on Instagram you know, before I really didn't put too much emphasis on it, um, which is strange because that's how I got on the show with like so little followers and just like posting me singing or what, whatever. So it's taught me um, just, you know, tactics that, that work better. You know, I see things that I post that do better. Um, it's taught me that things that I think are going to do well, don't do well at all. It's just, it's, the world of social media is so, so strange. Um, and I don't know, you know, with the algorithm and everything, it's, it's like, you never know what's, what's going to catch on. Um, but I, I just think it's, it's nice to be able to connect with more people and, and see kind of what people are thinking. You know, if you put a question, you get like, you know, a lot of responses about what's, what you just asked. And, and that can kind of inform whether, let's say you want like two different album covers coming up and you ask people and you get like really good responses because um, people are either really into what you're doing or they're just kind of into kind of the the facade of what you put out you know like people are a lot of people drop off you know you can see like people in the franchise <clears throat> once you're on the show you like get x amount of followers and then once you're off the show a lot of people just drop off and don't care anymore and don't follow you because out of sight, out of know, mind. It's just like the, the catch of the day. Like, oh, he's not on anymore. 
you know, whatever. Right. I want to talk about you as an artist specifically, because I think certain arts really lend themselves to social media, like visual artists, models, uh, that really is sort of a one-to-one, you know, visual representation to a visual application. Um, but I think as a musician, uh, you have to almost choose clips or choose visual representations of you playing or represent yourself in a way that maybe isn't as congruous with your art form, you know, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. How do you how do you deal with the fact that you kind of have to market your image or your identity, uh, and and almost allow that to steer people towards your uh, creative expression, your music? Exactly. Yeah. It's um. You know, we're in the age that the visual has. I mean, it's always been important, but I think with something like Instagram, you know, TikTok, etc. You really need to capture their attention visually within the first couple seconds, so they they could care less. So um, then that relies more on having, let's say, a videographer that really knows what he's he or she's doing, um, getting a video that supports whatever song you're putting out. Um, really make that first impression um, really hit and last, because you know if you you can be you know, only the really big artists can post like a uh, a clip of, let's say, a song demo that they have on on their voice memo and just like the voice memo uh, app with no picture of them. And it, it'll still do well just because, you know, they've they've proven that. But if a random person comes across that and doesn't put a face to a song or an image or whatever you're trying to promote, um, it's just it's just not going to do well. And then, you know, if they don't see it, then Instagram flags is like, Oh, they don't care. So let's not show it to more people. And then it just gets buried in, in, uh, the algorithm. So it's, uh, it's tricky. So still, still trying to figure it out. Yeah. Do you feel like it's a burden to have to think about marketing yourself on top of having to think about, uh, your own creative expression? And I don't know what process you have for, as a singer songwriter, as a, you know, music producer, um, do you feel like the, the burden of having to market yourself is just another creative challenge or is it something that, uh, you wrestle with? Um, I, you know, I would say both. It's, it's not something that I, I like doing or even thinking about, to be honest. Um, you know, if I had my day to myself and I could do whatever I want, I would just be making music. I wouldn't be thinking of any other um, ways to either, you know, make money or like, how is this, how is the image for this song gonna, you know, fit the best or what am I going to need to do to promote this song, etc. So it is a, it is a burden. Um, but I think, you know, it's just, it's just, you got to go with the times and instead of complaining about it, just figure out a way to, um, make it work the best for you and, and kind of go from there. What's next? What's what's on the horizon for you as an artist? So I'm very much looking forward to uh, getting back to. So I'm I'm living right outside Detroit um, at the moment, which is where I grew up, and um, very much so looking forward to moving to Nashville in the very near future. Um, 
just getting back into a community that's really music driven and focused and just has a lot of artists from other means too, from photographers, videographers, um, you know, dance, just the full gamut of creative people um, live there. And so just looking to get into a city that, that really resonates with me, I can be around more people um, that are sharing the same passion and seeing where that takes me because um, I used to live there for a little bit. And then when I moved back, I started to really miss it and the pandemic hit. Um, so just looking to get back and, and into that zone, putting out more music and, you know, seeing where the road takes me. How do you resolve the idea that Ryan Neal is a brand as well as an individual? <laughs> that's a good question. Um, and that's something I, I struggled with early on. I was like, do I create a, a stage name of sorts to kind of, you know, keep those worlds separate? Um, in a lot of ways, I still think that could have been a better option because you do think a lot. You're like, wow, I'm, I just want to live my life as, you know, as my parents' kid. Like I, like I grew up and I just, I want to be associated with just being a person. But then, you know, when people see you um, playing or, or they see you as a separate entity, um, it's, it's, uh, it's just weird. I, I, I don't know. It, the, it's something that I've never really had to think about before a couple of years ago. And now I just hope that if someone sees me and they recognize me, they're like, oh, yeah, like you're on that show. I like your music and that's cool with me. Um, so if it doesn't get any deeper than that with them, then that's fine. Then my personal life will continue to be just that. Um, but I don't know. It, it's fun. You know, I. I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't want any anyone to know me as as anything else besides like an artist or you know just a nice person hopefully. <laughs> yeah. All right everybody, it is time for our next segment, my personal favorite, Today in Brands. First up is Intrepid Travel. So they had a makeover of sorts in regards to their brand. They've had pretty much the same logo since the 70s and they did a little update on that, but then they also have taken it a step further in their mission statement and actually practicing what they preach. And they want to pave the way for sustainable tourism. So I'm wondering your take on this, Ryan, as a tourism company that is taking this step and kind of doing something that I personally haven't really seen and setting a gold standard as far as tourism goes and giving people a different take on how they can immerse themselves in culture while also reducing their carbon footprint as a whole as a company. Yeah, I think it's um, very interesting. You know, my my best friend was in um, sustainable tourism. That's what he was. His, his PhD was yeah. in that. Um, so I've gotten information from him and, and it's very cool to see a company admitting that, you know, they're not perfect and they're being more transparent because I, I had to look up what that greenwashing meant. Um, yeah. but it kind of, it kind of was like, oh, that it makes perfect sense. Right. Um, because you see so many brands preaching that they're the most green and then, you know, you'll watch a documentary on them and it's like, oh, <laughs> like, you're like, wait, not yes. so much. Um, so I, you know, I, I think it's great. I think that, um, you know, the fact that they were able to grow from, what was it? 250 to yes. 250,000. Like, I mean, 
proofs right there. Um, I think it's pretty incredible that they're, um, you know, being honest about who they are and, and who they're striving to be as, as opposed to just relying on an image or a logo from the past to really, you know, keep them going forward. What is greenwashing? Can you tell, is it like when you project an image of sustainability and eco-consciousness and maybe behind the scenes, you're just like dumping oil in a river? <laughs> I yes. think so. Yeah. <laughs> That's essentially yeah. like, that would be the perfect description for it. I feel like of they act and that's actually the like images that we see people put um, personally online too. It's like you see somebody in person and then they can act a different way. This is what greenwashing is. So many companies can slap a label on and say, Oh, we're, we're doing this, but you don't see behind the scenes. Like you said, Ryan. Right. So it's very interesting. Yeah. It's cool to be on the forefront of that kind of, uh, or like at least making it more public, like, Hey, we're not always doing the right thing. Um, I think especially like tourism, cause it's so often, uh, just tons of planes and buses and ships and, you know, like these are massive scaled polluters, but I don't know. It's, it also feels like, how do you get to Cambodia? You know, <laughs> like, right, do we right. take a river cruise to Cambodia? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, right. yes, it's tough. It's a tough thing to, to, I appreciate it, but I think it's a very challenging. Yes, absolutely. I will not be starting a tourism uh, company anytime soon. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, so up next is a clever nod to the hit Netflix show. I think they're still number one. They might've been knocked down, but Squid Games, I'm not sure if you've watched that, but people are finding out for themselves in New York City and Miami, where an app is being advertised on the back of 10,000 cards distributed around high traffic areas. There's no phone number to call, uh, just like on Squid Games, and no nightmarish fight to the death involving tug of war or hopscotch, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, it's just a card. But uh, interestingly enough, the goal for the South Korean series and also this relief app uh, the, the app is called Relief, is to be the same. So to dig cash-strapped people out of their crushing debt. And the last two years, uh, we've had a massive credit card debt in America that's climbed up to 90, $930 billion, actually. And this is a startup. Relief is a startup from the entrepreneur Jason Salesman, who is piggybacking off the show to tackle this massive problem. Um, and this was an awesome quote that I really enjoyed that they put in there by Stephen Flynn, the creative director. He said, we thought if we could strike with something quick enough and relevant to the situation, we could create a surprising brand interaction and start the conversation around debt because we all know it's awkward to talk about money sometimes and to have something that people can have fun with and almost be like, you know what, I can do this. And this company is like a step in the right direction to get me to where I want to be in life. So Ryan, I'm wondering your take on this tactic of marketing uh, that cleverly addresses debt, but also is a nod to a current hit TV show. So I just wanted to know, like, how, <laughs> how are they doing it? Like, what is, so, like, is it I, I, know the, I know the marketing of like, <laughs> Yes. So it's like a, so it's a card um, and it has the 
what is it? Three symbols. Right. The triangle, uh, the square and the circle. I was yeah. like, you've yeah. seen it. So it's the three symbols and it's just a plain card. And then on the back, it has relief. And then there's a QR code. Um, there's like no number to call or anything, but it directs you to the app. And obviously you do it just like we go to restaurants now and you you don't have a menu anymore, which that actually bums me out. I love menus, but you just mm-hmm. scan the QR code and it takes you directly to relief the app so that people can kind of spark that conversation and say, look at this card that I found today. Yeah, no, I, I love the idea of the card itself. I just didn't know how relief uh, provides relief to these people with the debt. Yes. No. Like, how does they, that work? So they set it up so that they're basically an agency that I think goes into like, depending on how much debt you have, obviously there's different avenues of if you have to go through uh, talk with bankruptcy or how to, you know, monthly, how can you tackle it so that it's not just like this looming thing that you're continuing to put on the back burner and it's piling up. So a big thing that was, I know that they put a pause on student loan debt and a few other things for a bit. I know that's starting back up now, but to get people kind of a head start there, they created this app so that they don't feel that crushing, you know, thing of how am I going to pay for this? They have people that they set them up with so that they can say, okay, you know, this is a payment that you can do, you know, don't go to Starbucks every day. This is how you can afford to do a monthly payment and that right. kind of thing. That's so. the, uh, that's the ubiquitous millennial response or like, that's the boomer response I know, to every I know. millennial in debt is like, cause... why do you go to Starbucks all the time? Yeah. It adds exactly. up. It adds up. Yeah. Seriously. I feel like it's like a, a more of a, um, you know, a thing to focus on prevention rather than like treatment. Yeah. Like, Hey, like, tell people how to, how to manage money um, yes. early on, like in, in high school and stuff. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate the, yeah. the piggyback. I mean, obviously the show is really, uh, kind of an extreme <laughs> reaction <Intense>. to the <laughs> debt and like the sort of psychological ramifications of being an intense debt. Um, I'm curious if relief is more like therapy for those in debt and, offering, you know, constructive solutions, or if it's like a debt consolidation or some other way to sort of capitalize off those who are extremely in debt. Um, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm just curious, because right. I feel like it's a great marketing ploy. It's it's cool, everybody, especially if it's in Korea. I'm sure that show is very popular there as well. Um, but that's a really, really, it's almost like environmentalism. It's a very, very, very hard topic to market towards because it's it's yes. very complex and it's and it's uh there are often people and scholars and thinkers that would be like what you're doing is maybe contributing to a problem in another way um not being a total cynic but i i appreciate what you're doing <laughs> i mean it's less scary than squid game that that's good yeah it's, it's a lot less <laughs> yeah. intense you just grab the card you don't have to play any creepy games and think am i gonna make it across here or is this is this it yeah i haven't seen it yet so i don't um, i haven't either i've seen some commercials nick okay. has started it yeah now, i so. i binged it the other day <laughs> on uh i was having a drowser day a day where i sleep most of the day 
Uh, and I ended up binging it only because it's so zeitgeisty right now. Everyone is talking about Squid Game, and I just wanted to have some context. I liked it medium. Is it okay? Okay, with <laughs> without without because that's what I've heard from a couple of people. Like without the hype, if you saw it, would you be like, "That's all right"? I will say I think it's spectacularly produced. It has wonderful art direction and incredible vision. It's so grand. Like the scale of the show is just beautiful. Uh, I I think it's just something about the intense brutality and the like I I don't know that I was drawn into the characters, like the the main characters that we're following. I I didn't feel like I had a relationship to them or that I was like, oh, I wanna, I want these guys to make it through. It just felt maybe it it took me too far out of reality to be like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. But it was good. Maybe I'm just uh not their demographic, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Maybe they just should have gone to Starbucks list. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> just have that in the end credits. That would be that'd be gold. Awesome. Um well Ryan, I really appreciate it. We have a few more questions that we like to ask everyone. These are maybe open-ended, more philosophical questions, but I'd love your take because you're a real thoughtful guy. The first question is, what have you done recently for the very first time? Um, so it would be, the thing that I could think of was this summer. So recently, as in, you know, a couple, two months ago, um, I did this thing called subwinging. Have you guys ever heard of that? No, what is it? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's essentially flying underwater and basically what you do wow. you take you take this um uh some buddies of mine made like this plywood version but then i eventually got the real version but it's basically like a um, a fiberglass board that you hold on to when you're underneath and you're being pulled by a boat so you wear goggles um we can do it in northern michigan because the waters are so clear and it's you know it's nice but, but um Basically, you're being pulled by a boat going like five miles an hour tops. So your boat's going very slow, just kind of cruising along. And there's a, a rope attached to the boat and you're on this board holding onto it. And you hold your breath, you go down and you just like wow. fly underwater. <laughs> it reminds me of the hit 90s movie. I don't know if it's 90s. I'm going to assume. But Waterworld where Kevin Costner. <laughs> yeah. Like does that okay. behind that his sailboat to catch yes. a huge monster, and that's what they eat that night. Um, that's great. It's, <laughs> okay. So it's oh, sort of like God. it's like underwater water skiing. Does that? Yeah, or like surfing. Yeah. Like right? you're pulled the by something, surfing? but like you can almost... sort of you can direct yourself under the water yeah, you... and sort of make sweeping turns and feel all those different forces on your body while also maybe like catching you a, can. Of a good fish or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you, yeah, you have to do it in water. That's, that's very clear. Um, but yeah, you can kind of, you can do like barrel rolls. If you want to go up, you just tilt the board up. If you want to go down, obviously vice versa. Um, it's, it's a blast if you guys ever get a chance Was it to do it. Cause they only market it in like the Caribbean and stuff like that. Cause you know, the water, but, um, it was, uh, yeah, I feel like unreal. Like I, I love water sports. I love tubing, but I feel like there's been you know, a lot of innovation nice in water sports. Like there's those things that you know, like it's almost like you're flying, but you have a tube linked to you. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen those too. And then there's like <laughs> scuba diving little mini submarine things that pull you while you're scubaing, right? To just to give you some momentum and allow you to go places without kicking too much. Yes. Yeah, so it's, I, I know what you're talking about and it basically is that, but you just need a, a boat to do it. And I right. think you can, it, you feel like you're going like 50 miles an hour underwater. You feel like you're going so fast, but the boat, if you saw it on the top of the water, is just like hardly moving. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, um, yeah, that's great. I want to go. What is it called? Sub sub wing sub wing s-u-b-w-i-n-g yeah nice um you're gonna get an endorsement deal from them right after this podcast comes out (laughs) (laughs) ryan neal for sub wing (laughs) (laughs) yeah that'd be incredible (laughs) um so if you had to bring one thing like say you're brought to a show and tell either at a work situation or a kid that you know and love uh what do you think you would bring so this may not be the most glamorous thing, but um, it's what I wear every day. It's um, my grandpa gave me this gold medallion before he passed away. Um, he wore it all his life, like World War II. Um, and it's just basically, I saw him wearing it growing up and before he passed away, he gave it to me. And it's just kind of like my, I just feel at home when I wear it. I never take it off. Um, and um, that would be, this is like my most prized possession for sure. Uh, I'm not a big material guy, but this is, and I don't really wear jewelry, but this is, this is kind of it for me. And I think probably in the last 15 years that I've had it, I've probably taken it off like maybe not even 10 times. So it's definitely very near and dear to my heart. And that's what it would be because it's been with me the longest. I love that. Has it uh, shown up in any lyric or any, of your songs no it hasn't uh <laughs> maybe will someday but uh you know for right now it's just kind of like a personal personal thing of mine that i i really enjoy having and i'm glad that he he gave it to me yeah that's beautiful connection to your family and your past um mm-hmm. do you have any advice that you would give to your younger self if somehow you ran into yourself prior to um, this television experience and prior prior to uh, this sort of ascension into being a public figure? I would just say, you know, um, explore what's unique about you and really dive into that, um, not giving into any type of outside peer pressure as much. And um, I was kind of thinking about this question more as like, high school and and prior to that. And I think a lot of times you meet people who are your good friends early on, but then they may not essentially like inspire you later on and just kind of like hanging on. And I think you spend too much time with those people. It's just a little, it's just can be draining. So um, just explore what's unique about yourself, you know, get into that, Um, start a YouTube channel in 2006. Um, that would have been great. Um, (laughs) and then, uh, you know, just spend people, spend more time with people that really inspire you to be the best version of yourself. Yeah. Invest in Amazon. Start a YouTube channel. Time is so precious. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Bet on the Dodgers. Uh, I, I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, 
I was yeah. just talking to a friend of mine actually about that specific sentiment about knowing what's unique about yourself and know and and that being the best version of yourself isn't like obviously it comes with being kind and you know being a good person in the quotes but it's also mm -hmm. embracing uh what makes you unique and what you have to offer uh which is something that's entirely your own um so thank you for joining us thank you so much for being a part of the show we've really appreciate it. we didn't really know you know you're our first artist as creative this is a podcast for you know marketers and creatives and i think artists are sort of core essence creatives <laughs> um so it's cool to talk to you thanks ryan thank you it's been a blast is there anything that you want to plug or that you want to give a shout out to um no i would just say you know if you want to Give me a follow at Ryan Neal, R-Y-A-N-N-E-A-L underscore music um, on Instagram. Check me out on Spotify. It's just my name, Ryan Neal. And um, that's where you'll get all the latest updates. So appreciate you guys listening and you know, looking forward to maybe meeting you guys one day in person. If you come through Colorado, you got to shout yeah. us out and we'll come to your show. You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast where we like to say strong brands live here. Join us as we build The Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe.